0: invite you to take your Bible to and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We are taking our time uh, to go through this passage. Um, we really could do it more quickly than we are doing it. But we want to go slowly because this is such fundamental uh, to what we believe. And what we believe is under attack today, and we have to go back and we have to understand and, and and put our roots down deep so that we can we can stand firm when those attacks come. We need to see it in that light. Genesis chapter three. I'll be I'll begin reading in verse one, we'll read down to verse seven. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God's, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that it was the, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the, its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. For your word may it go forth uh, and be received in willing hearts to learn, willing hearts to listen, eager hearts to listen what you have to say. Lord, may we apply these things as well to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Early on the morning of uh, December 7th, It was a quiet and peaceful, beautiful morning. There's a slight mist rising up in the harbor, and no one would have even guessed at that time, uh, at that particular day, in that particular spot, that there would be a a barrage of, of bombs that would drop on that spot. And there would be an event that would catapult America into World War II. From this little spot, from this little corner of the world. And planes flew over and bombed ships that were moored in Pearl Harbor on D-Day. And it was an attack. It was an attack. Everybody saw it as an attack. 2,403 people died. 21 U.S. ships were damaged. 323 Airplanes were damaged. Over 2,000 buildings were damaged in that little town, that little place. It was an attack. Not, not just on a few people here. Not just on ships and, and airplanes. But it was an attack on the United States of America. a World power. It was a small, little attack. But everybody understood it was an attack. On the whole of the United States, just like on 9-11, just two buildings and a few buildings that were, were shaken and torn down. But everybody knew that it was an attack on America. On Fort Sumter, Sumter, there was just one little shot that was heard around the world and everybody knew there was an attack. It was an attack. Brought the civil, brought on the civil war when you're when you're going along and you get a, a bee sting it's just in this one little place in fact you, you barely can see it but the whole body reacts doesn't it because it's an attack on that that person and for 2 hours the japanese um, army and aircrafts came in and what is said is they awakened a sleeping, sleeping giant that's what happened and it was etched, this day was etched in history, it will, a day that will go down in infamy. It was just a, a small little insignificant place on a, a quiet day, but it, it catapulted America into World War II. It was a catastrophic event. The world felt it. The same thing happens in this passage that I just read for us. It was just a, a small little event, one little conversation, but everybody knows that this was an attack. This wasn't an attack just on Eve, just on the, the woman, or just even on Adam and Eve together as a couple on their, their marriage. This wasn't just an attack on the, the mankind in general, but this is an attack on God, God Himself. And He will react. To this we don 't know the date we don 't know the exact location of the Garden of Eden, but we do know some of the details, but really, the details are irrelevant compared to they 're pretty minor compared to the bombshell that that went off man rebelled against God. The, the New Testament calls it the fall of man that man fell and it has worldwide devastation that, that is felt to today, a ripple effect. And so we see a murder rate, the divorce rate continues to go up. There's anger in this world. There's there's grudges that are held and, and passed on from one generation to the next generation within people. There's gossip and hatred. People that are, are raising their children to to not honor God at all. Now Adam and Eve, they see the garden this place is a, a testing ground, and it was a testing ground for Adam and Eve, but they were representative of the whole human race as our parents. They were the head of the race and, and they sowed us into they sold us into bondage to sin and in rebellion against against God. <clears throat> Something small and insignificant as a conversation turned out to be this the equivalent of a worldwide nuclear bomb that, that just went off. And Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden here, was ground zero for this attack. We cannot minimize what went on here in just these few verses, just this one little episode, this one little conversation. And we were introduced to Adam and Eve last week, the sixth day of creation. And God brought these two together, the first parents. And uh, unified them. And they were a self-contained unit that that had contentment and, and peace with one another. And, and there was a, a perfect harmony that was going on in this relationship. And this relationship was to reflect what was going on in the Trinity. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, they were given dominion over the earth. They were to populate the earth. And... Everything was was perfect, but something went wrong. And in this passage, this passage then answers that question. What went wrong? It answers the question, how in the world we see this? How in the world did we lose the peace and the harmony that was in the Garden of Eden? How did the world come to be in the shape that it's in today? Now Moses is writing this, and this is important for the children of Israel to understand that... That uh, there's sin in this world, and and he's wanting to, them to understand um, how the world came to exist the way it is, with sin and suffering that we have, and it comes down to that one word: sin, rebellion against God. The day man fell, and and sin is a an ex. Uh, it explains to us the. The impact of a, of a global war. Of the, the spiritual war. That's, that's what's going on here. Sin is the problem. Sin is the main problem. Man's main problem is sin. We don't see that today. People don't see that. They're trying to invent other things. That's the problem that we see that sin is the problem, and it comes down to this one passage, that how sin came in to be in this world. It begins here in the garden. And again, we cannot minimize this. We have a Christian world that seems to be wanting to just minimize this, this element, but we cannot do this. This is an event that explains the world around us. And for us, it explains reality. What really is? And it's a spiritual reality. The world doesn't see it that way. They're going to interpret it. This is just a legend at best. They really describe it as more of a fairy tale. A talking snake. I mean, who can believe that? You even hear people, Christians saying that. It's a talking snake. That doesn't have any validity. Snakes don't talk. But for us, this interprets accurately the world around us. It gives a, a fairly good account of, of why the, the world is the way it is. It gives a, a pretty good account, explanation of why the heart is the way it is. And it answers for us a question. Now, the, the question for the American church is, today, is, do we really believe this? And, and we're being told that this is fairy tale. And it's just a matter of time that people will say, and they're already saying, that this is just figurative. Adam and Eve, oh, they weren't real people. They were just a figurehead. They were just they're just figurative. It's just a, a story to tell us that, you know, there is sin and that kind of thing. This is the fall of man. This is real. Now, this passage can be divided, the fall of man can be divided into three little categories here. We have, first of all, you see them on the screen. We have the, an innocent conversation. And, and then you have a, a naive consideration and then you have the devastating consequences. Now we'll look at the last two. We'll look at those next week. But the the first one we're going to look at today is just a an innocent conversation, an innocent conversation. Now we have conversations all the time. We, we really don't even think about the number of conversations that we have during a day. Sometimes just with children. Sometimes with old people. Some people, or sometimes just in the the post office. Uh, Salesmen, we, we just have conversations. We even have conversations now online. We usually don't feel threatened with, with conversations. Now, sometimes you can. I For some reason, I don't know why, maybe I'm just, just kind of strange, but I see conversation, uh, threatened conversations. Batman's parents, I know, this is kind of crazy, but Batman's parents coming out of the restaurant and, hey, do you, do you have a match or do you... You know something like that, and they're kind of lured into, and they're devastating effect on that. I remember at a time that I didn't sense any threat. I had a conversation, well, I thought it was going to be a conversation with a a man that was well connected in Philadelphia. That's the way it was put to me, and it was uh, I was introduced to him by uh, by representative, okay, in Philadelphia. So I, I, he said, let's, let's meet up. Yeah, okay, we'll meet up. Here, come to my restaurant. I said, okay. And so I get there and, and I'm going to present my ministry. I'm hoping that he'll, he'll, uh, support my ministry. He's a very wealthy man from what I understand. And I knew he owned this particular business and, and, and he traded in car parts. Now that should be refurbishing car parts. All right. So, um, so I, I go into his restaurant and, uh, and I'm just expecting he and I and will sit down and have a conversation. I've done it a lot of times at this point, but boy, it was already spread out for me. He ordered for me. There was probably ten of us sitting around this booth, and it was a family, all right? A family affair, and, and this was an Italian family. And so, oh, have you ever tried it? Oh, you've got to try this. And it, it was just a a joyous time in certain ways. I look back at it. Now, and I'm telling you, I see little, just inklings of the Italian mafia in this whole thing. And I look back and I think, man, I'm glad they didn't support me. But again, I, I didn't sense any threat. But, you know, the Lord has to protect us sometimes. This is just a conversation. Conversation. A conversation between two people. Again, not a whole lot of information given to us. We know that they're probably close to the tree because she is able to to get the the fruit there. And so that would have put them in the middle of the garden between two people. The first one we know we've already been introduced to, and that was Eve, the helper. She was created for man. He was going to uh, she was to be his helper. And she was uh, he was to be he was the man is to protect her. Uh, we don't see the man in this conversation. When the man, uh, uh, when this conversation is taking place, we we can say, well, maybe he was right there at the end of verse six that he was with her. But I don't know that you you would read that into the uh, this text here. I don't think you have to say that Adam was right there at that time. He was probably in the garden, so she was somewhat protected there. We see from the we see that that she was being targeted maybe as the weaker vessel maybe she was seen as this weaker vessel the new testament points out that she was deceived now adam wasn't deceived but eve was deceived so we have to interpret this passage in that light she was just she just didn't know she didn't sense the danger here the other person in the conversation is a serpent let me read verse 1 now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden; an innocent question here it's just a, a conversation starter, and you begin to you begin to realize that uh, it doesn't take long that you begin to realize that, and she doesn't seem to be surprised that this is a, a talking snake. Now, maybe it's because of the Garden of Eden is kind of an enchanting place, and maybe that's what it did. Some uh, some people believe that all the animals were able to talk during that time. I don't think you see that in scripture. I don't think there's any indication of that. But for some reason, she didn't feel threatened. She didn't feel uh, any uh, red flags going up in her mind. But but clearly, as you as the conversation uh, proceeds, you begin to to see that this serpent is you, you begin to see that he's possessed. A third party is here there. This evil power seems to be using this serpent, and seems to have an agenda, because he's moving the conversation to an end goal, and he's persuasive and he's crafty. That's the the. Terminology, the terminology that is used here, and he's compared to some of the beasts of the field, and, and maybe and apparently he had legs at some point. Chapter three, verse fourteen, in his um, in the punishment that God dishes out, he removes the leg, and 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 he is slithering on the ground. But whatever, it's pointed out that this is one of God's creatures. Adam had authority over this creature. Eve had authority over this creature. She didn't didn't have to listen to him. Now we begin to see, or we, we notice in the New Testament, that the New Testament defines this serpent for us. And it introduces us to a new world here. And a new danger of what's going on. And we need to go to... And I, I want to show you... I, Revelation chapter 12 is the first passage, but I I have a list of passages that I want to go through here with you because we need to understand. We need to pull back the curtain and this is what Revelation does (laughs) pulls back the curtains and we begin and we're introduced to this spiritual reality and the spiritual reality is that there is a universal war that's going on here between good and evil between God and Satan Now, this is in the spiritual realm. We've got to keep that in mind. Because this is not science. Now, we live in a world today that if it's not science, if it's not, you you can't put it under a a microscope and in test tubes, then it's not real. But this is still real, but it's just in the, the spiritual realm. We cannot see it. God has to inform us, and He's done so in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12 Verse 7 pulls back the curtains and we see this spiritual battle that's going on. Here's, here's at the beginning of the battle. This is evil entering into God's universe right here. We'll show you. Verse Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. We have it on the screen. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels war, raging war against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels... Raged war Satan The dragon We'll see him Introduced here In just a minute Um, He's the one That instigated This war And verse 8 They were not Strong enough That is Satan And his angels And they were No longer A place Found for them In heaven Verse 9 And the great dragon Was thrown down The serpents of old Who is Called the devil And Satan A deceiver uh, who deceives the whole world? He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we see in verse four that that would have been a third of the the angels, a third of the heavenly host was thrown down with him. So the uh, picture is Satan apparently tries to usurp what's going on, usurp the throne, and he was thrown out. For some reason, there was a battle. Michael the archangel maybe had discovered this and threw him out. This Strong battle. It says, there's no place for him in heaven. You cannot keep unrighteousness in the presence of God. He, he has to go. So he's thrown down where? To earth. Now, go to another passage in uh, Luke chapter 10. This is a wonderful passage. I, I love this. Luke chapter 10, verse 17 the 70 returned with joy. Now, this, this is going to add on to the information that we've been told uh, in Revelation. God, Christ had sent out his 70, the 70 disciples. They were preaching the, the gospel, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They come back and they're pretty excited. And it says, Lord, even the demons were subject to us in your name. We were able to cast out demons in your name, Christ. This is, this is great. We love this. And he says, and I love his response. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, that's a description. Battle in heaven. No longer uh, able to stay in heaven. Kick him out of heaven. He's down here on earth. He's got one third of the angels with him, but he's down here on earth. And Christ said, I saw it. I was there. And now, I want you to see this. Verse um, 19. Behold, I was given authority to, I'm sorry, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers and the enemies, and nothing will injure you. Now, some people like to put that in a literal form, but this is obviously talking about the spiritual powers. He says, I have given you authority over these guys. You can cast them out. That's not a, an issue for you. We have authority over these beings, these these spiritual essentially enemies, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that you're, uh, that the spirits are subject to you that's minor things, guys. Get over that. the spirits are subject to you, sure they are, but rejoice that your name is written and recorded in heaven now, that's something to rejoice about, and don't you love that? Christ is just teaching them right there. But again, we see the spiritual battle. Satan cast down to the earth. Who are these spiritual beings here that he refers to? We see a, a little glimpse of that in Hebrews chapter one, and verse fourteen. Hebrews one fourteen. And just just to kind of fill in the gaps here, are they not are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who? Who will inherit salvation. So sometime between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. God creates these spiritual beings. Messengers. Ministers of the gospel. In fact that's what an angel is. Angel means just messenger. Ministering spirits to go out. And there to accommodate God. As he is working in the minds and the hearts of people. So he created these beings. Satan then apparently. Tries to rebel, and, uh, and he's cast out of heaven. One third of the heaven comes down to earth with him. So, filling in the gap there. So, who is this Satan, and what, is, what does he want? Let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 24. Ezekiel chapter 20, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 28. Again, we're going to fill in the gaps here. So that we can understand, we need to understand this. This is the this is the, the picture that we use, the narrative in our minds to interpret the world around us. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. And this is a large passage. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We'll try to skip through it so that you can get the sense, the gist of the passage. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lament, a, a dirge, a crying uh, over the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre is a wicked man, so much so it seems like he is possessed by Satan himself. That's the idea. And take up this lament against him. It says, "Thus says, thus says the Lord God, you have, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now that indicates that that it's not just the, the the king of Tyre. It is." The king of Tyre, that's part of the context here, but it's also, he's, he's talking about Satan who is controlling this king of Tyre, and he says this, you were, you were there in the garden. And he says, every precious stone was your covering. You were, you were beautiful, the, the ruby, and he goes on, the topaz names these stones. Verse 14, skip down to verse 14, you were the, you were the anointed cherub who covers now this is talking about his position. The word covers here is a guardian, a, a guard. So you were, you were the anointed cherub who guards probably some elevated position. Maybe even the, the, the chief or the head of the, the guardian angels. These, they were protectors for some reason. And, and he was the, the head of this. You were anointed cherub over these. I have placed you. I had placed you there. You were on the mount of, uh, you were in the holy mount of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blast, blameless in your way. So, so there was perfection. He was created this way. He was he was perfect. He was beautiful from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. That's key. See, see, he was perfect. God made him perfect. But something happened. Unrighteousness was found in him. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were uh, internally filled with violence. And you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Throwing out of the presence of God, the high place of God, you were thrown out. Apparently, that's where he used to be, the high place of God. And I I've destroyed you, old covering cherub. Covering, guardian cherub. Again, referring to his position, verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Now that kind of gives indicates motive here. Motive. His heart was lifted up. You corrupted your wisdom. So, so his beauty... And then he corrupted his beauty, his his wisdom, his thinking processes by reason of your splendor. So this beauty gets in the way. He starts thinking, "Man, I am pretty." (laughs) I can't say that. I'm, I'm bald headed and old man. This is Satan. He has splendor. He was created beautiful, and he begins to realize that. He says, "I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings, and they see it. So they see you." And you can all read all the way down to verse nineteen that that 's it that 's it. You see well, what was going on in satan 's heart what kind of what kind of uh, thinking was was going on well, it was the passage that was read for us earlier and Isaiah gives us a clear picture of that again a clearer picture of that again this is this is a this is a, a king a, a, that was probably an Possessed by Satan, or at least all the same characteristics of the heart that Satan had. And let me read this in verse 12 says, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven. You see the same thing. Fallen. Thrown down. Cast down to the earth. O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You are, you have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, you, you were up here, but you said in your heart that this is that moment, that that point, his reasoning, his thinking, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Here's the key, verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the Most High. That's pride. I am beautiful. I'm persuasive. I am persuasive. I can appeal to people in this spiritual realm. I can do it. I, can, I, think I, can. I think I can. I think I can take Him. The Most High. I will make myself like the Most High. That's pride. The epitome of pride found in his heart. Nevertheless, verse 15, Nevertheless, I will thrust you to Sheol. That's amazing. So he has evil, the epitome of evil, entering now into God's universe. He was thrown down out of heaven, down to this earth. And he is in rebellion against God. Open rebellion against God. And now he wants to gather... A rebel army. He wants to gather them around. Now, Jesus addresses this spiritual reality. He taps into this. He's fully aware of what's going on spiritually. So he taps into this. In Matthew chapter 20, 25, he reminds us, he tells us this. He says in verse 41, you see it on the screen. Then he will also say to those on his left. Now, the the, the picture is, is uh, Judgment Day. You have... Those on his left, those on his right, those who on his left were unbelievers. They had rejected Christ. Those on his right were believers. And he says, depart, those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which was, has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So, so the, the devil, his angels, there's a place prepared for them. But there's people that are going to be following them. And that's exactly where they're going to go to. Right into hell. That's Christ's teaching. He was fully aware of this spiritual reality. This spiritual world that's going on here. Let me show you another one. to show you just how dangerous and how deadly this is. Jesus, again, fully aware of the spiritual reality. In John chapter 8, verse 44... Says this. Let me start in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. You're so deafened by what Satan is saying, you cannot even hear my words. Verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And whatever he speaks, every time he opens his mouth, he just lies. That's all he can do. It's his very nature. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I have spoken truth, you do not believe me. They're rejecting it because they're listening to their father, the devil. Verse 47. He who is of God hears the word of god for his, for this reason you do not hear them because you are not of god you're listening to your father the devil so this spirituality the spiritual reality the spiritual world this is where it connects here who are you listening to who are you listening to who are you listening to who are you following john kind of gives us a, a little bit more In 1 John chapter 3, a passage that you probably know well, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 7, little children, make sure you make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. That is Christ, just as he is Christ. You're practicing, that is constantly, continuously practicing righteousness, you're you're righteous just like he was righteous the one who practices sin who continuously abides in sin continuously practices sin is of what the devil for the devil was sin has sinned from the beginning the son of god appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil no one who is born of god practices sin continually habitually practicing sin no one does that if they're born of god his seed abides in them in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You cannot stay in that sin you're, you're, you just you just your your convictions will not allow that you you 'll come out of that sin verse ten by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious man that's that just divides the world into two categories, and he says it 's clear it 's obvious whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You don't have any desire for your brother. Don't have any love for your brother. You're not interested in your uh, in the fellow Christians. And you gotta you gotta question which side am I on, on here? It, it's clear in Scripture. Let me give you one more passage just to just to see. And this is the good news in Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You could not not sin. You were just sinning. Didn't even know it. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to, and here's the key, the prince of the power of the air. Satan was in heaven, sin in his heart, discovered by, uh, probably, uh, Michael the archangel. A battle ensues, cast down to heaven, or cast down to the earth. And now he's the prince of the power of the air. Prince of the power of the air. That's what he wants. He wants to control everything. And he does it by controlling the power of the air, the ideas. Truth. Manipulation of the fact. Prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That same spirit that was in, uh, that is, uh, that is moving the world along the the course of this world. He is influencing the heart of the masses, we might say. Verse three. Among them we too, and I love this word, formerly lived. We lived under his influence. Formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. We were just doing what we wanted to do. And it just coincided with what Satan was doing. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. By nature, children of wrath. We are under God's wrath, even as the rest. And here's the key. Here's, here's the good news. Verse 4. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love by which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ that's the key, isn't it? With Christ. We love Christ. We join ourselves to Christ. We follow Christ. We're disciples of Christ. Even when you're dead in your trespasses. And now we're with Christ. We're raised up with Christ, verse 6. And we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ. So that in the ages that come... Now, why is all of this? Why did He allow sin to enter Satan's heart? Why did He cast Satan down to this earth? Here's the answer. Here's the, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace. The surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. He's allowing all of this so that He can just shed His grace upon his people, so that he, so that everybody will see, he is a kind God. He is a, a gracious God, and it goes on to say the famous verse, verse eight: "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that what is that? The grace that's not of yourself; it is a gift of God, not as a result, not as a result of works, but it's by grace, by grace." Folks, this is the narrative. This is the spiritual reality that we interpret our world by. The world is is trying to get rid of this narrative. They see it as a fable, as a legend, as a fairy tale. It's just man-made. They see it now. God is dead. Actually, God died in the 60s according to the world. If you read the scholars, He's dead and this Christianity, we don't need God anymore. And it's just become a crutch. And we need to just get rid of that crutch. This superstition. But for us, folks, it's a spiritual reality that we interpret life by. It's real. It's real. This is a real serpent. We have a world that's trying to get rid of God and they've successfully done that because they they think they can explain everything apart from God so they're they're trying to do that and they they don't want us to have this narrative anymore they see it as a crutch and and now what seems to be happening in in the world around us, is they want to get rid of that narrative. Get rid of these little stories that we have that interpret life for us like this. And so they make Adam and Eve figurative. Oh, they're just figurative. They weren't real. This is a real conversation. A real conversation. Now, if you can afford me just a few more minutes, let's go back to Genesis I, I want to just delve into this conversation just a little bit. Just a, a few quick verses here. <clears throat> this is the story that the world does not like. It, in, it impugns them. It makes them guilty. They don't like that. They want to get rid of the story. Satan comes. He asks an innocent question. An innocent question. It's seemingly innocent the conversation starter just is begin, but you begin to see that he's moving the conversation. He's leading the witness here. He says, has God said this? He puts it in the negative. You can eat from anything? Yeah. First, you, you, you can eat from anything. And again, it's just a, an innocent conversation. Her discernment level is, is low. No threat level here. She, she wasn't guarding but Satan was crafty. Remember everything he says. He every time he opens his mouth, he's a liar. And we want to say to Eve at this point, "Run, run for your life! You're in danger." But this is just an innocent conversation, innocent conversation, folks. The world wants to have innocent conversations with us. Just innocent conversations. There's just a, let's just start up this innocent conversation, but. These are the tactics of Satan. He doesn't attack us outright. He says, let's have this innocent conversation with your kids. With your kids. Let's just teach them sex education. Back in the day, it was values clarification. If you remember that. Let's just teach them uh, social justice class. So that they won't be biased anymore. Let's teach them gender studies So that, so we can present some clarity. Just innocent conversations. Innocent conversations. Let's, let's just teach them about global warming. But every bit of this, folks, excludes God. They want to do the teaching. They are leading the witness. That's what Satan is doing. This is a planned attack. Verse two. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat. It points out just the goodness of God. You see his grace? We can eat all this. This stuff, but verse three, and he, Satan allows her to bring in the, the but here, the negative, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat or touch it or you will die. So the woman's response here, again, a little naive, but you know what? She's right. She knew, she knew the right answer. Where did she learn that? She wasn't there. She wasn't even created when God told man, here's the the rules here. So God, uh, Adam communicated these things to Eve. In fact, he, he may have even said, you, you know what? Let's don't even go close to that tree. Let's don't even touch it. And so she adds that. She has placed herself under the authority of God. She has placed herself under the authority of her husband, just as she should have. Satan anticipates this. And folks, this is us. We have placed ourselves under the authority of this word. And we have chosen to to take this narrative because we believe it. We believe this word. This word explains the world around us. The world, though, they want to shake off this. They don't like this narrative because it convicts them. Because it makes them guilty. They want control they want they want to determine their own destiny that's what the world wants and so they want to shake off anything having to do with god and they want to have just an innocent conversation and that in that innocent conversation they're going to move us to to not believe in these scriptures let's see satan's response real quick verse 4 and 5 the serpent said to the woman you shall surely not die now you have open just a, a, a glaring um Uh, blatant contradiction of what God has said. He's just just lying to Eve. So, questioning God's word here. Verse 5, For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So he not only questions God's word, he questions God's character. God knows, and so he's hiding this from you. He's hiding all the good stuff from you. Questions God's word. Questions God's character. God, Satan promises a lot more than he can deliver. The same tactics, though, today. Questions God's word. You know, those, those traditions that you have. Let's have a conversation about that. Those morals that you have. Let's just have a conversation about that. Let's just question, do you really believe that? Is this really what God says? And Kind of questions. This this. Justice that you say you have. This equality that you say you have. This fairness. Is it really fair? Let's look at these things. Is it fair? Always living in that gray area. That's where Satan lives. And then we see his question his character. And folks, we're going to wind up being on the wrong side of morals today. And that's where they're trying to put us. Oh, no, the good moral people, they they're over here, but... But, uh, you know, you're taking God's side, and He's not a just God. He's not a good God. That's why we, you know, why would God allow these things if He was good? Why does God do this? Why does God do that? It's not fair. It's not fair. And what we see is Satan is breeding confusion. Now, let me just end with just two verses, two verses, a couple of verses. Let me remind you, Satan is so good at what he does. He is the father of lies. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Let me read this. Just, just to remind you. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. These are Satan-empowered wonders so as to mislead, if possible, can't be, po- it's not possible, but if it was possible, it would mislead even the elect. Satan is that good at lying and persuading and twisting the truth that if possible, even God's elect would be would be misled. It's not possible. Say, so how in the world does he do it? How does he do it? Let me remind you, he's going to go for the weakest of us. Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse two. Oh, let me let me uh, let me read First Peter first. Timothy, first, first Timothy chapter three verse six and seven. This is kind of gives you an idea. He's always after the weak. He's always after the the confused. They're they're easier to confuse. Even second Timothy chapter three and verses six and seven. Here's what Paul reminds Timothy of. Among them are those who enter into households and captivate. Captivate weak women, weighted down with sins, led, led on by various impulses, reactions just, just so steeped in their sins. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of truth. Folks, that's the church today. They never seem to come. Always debating, always learning this, but never really coming to solid truth and conviction. Satan's going to prey on them. Now, here's Paul's concern in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. And we'll wind it up with this. For I am jealous for you. This is Paul. And he's talking to this corrupt church. And he's trying to persuade them. Trying to help them to understand how important this is. I'm jealous for you. For I betrothed you to one husband. That is Christ. I, I introduced you to Christ. And you accepted Christ. I might... Present to you as a pure virgin, present you to him as a pure virgin, verse 3. Now here's the problem. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by the craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of what? Devotion to Christ. That's the church today. If Satan can just, Satan can just twist things by His craftiness and allow our minds to be, to be led astray. Folks, that's what's happening to the, the American church today. And that's, my, that's the danger. That's my concern. That we do, not, we do not listen to Him. And jeopardize, he says, the purity. The purity of the devotion to Christ. Are we devoted to Christ? Are we devoted to His Word? Will we stand? Will we stand when they say, you guys are a bunch of kids believing in fairy tales. And we have to say, you know what? We are. If you call this a fairy tale, then I am. I'm just a kid believing in a fairy tale. Folks, they will strip everything away from us. And all we will will be able to stand upon is this word right here. And we will have to say, I believe it. Or or we'll just leave. And it's going to come down to that. What is your devotion to Christ? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, may we get a glimpse of the spiritual reality that's going on all around us. The bombshells. Every sin that goes off is, a, is just an explosion. Every sin that happens in the spiritual realm, and it's devastating. Oh Lord, may we stand for righteousness. May we not be influenced by Satan in this world. But Lord, give us the ability to trust Your Word, to believe it no matter what comes. We are going to look foolish in the eyes of this world. But Lord, help us to not care. Help us to stand... On the stories, the principles laid out in this word. Lord, give us a supernatural ability to believe, a strength of conviction to stand. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.